There's a girl in the corner with tear stains on her eyes from the places she's wandered and the shame she can't hide. She says, How did I get here? I'm not who I once was, and I'm crippled by the fear that I've fallen too far to love. But don't you know who you are? What has been done for you? Yeah, don't you know who you are? You are more than the choices that you've made. You are more than the sum of your past mistakes. You are more than the problems you created. You've been remade. Well, she tries to believe it. That she's been given new life. Oh, but she can't shake the feeling that it's not true tonight. She knows all the answers And she's rehearsed all the lines And so she'll try to do better But then she's too weak to try But don't you know who you are? of the good news of the gospel is that because of Jesus, our slate's been washed clean. That we are more than the choices that we've made, more than some of our past mistakes. I love those words, and I love that truth. We're going to take a look at Epi Grace today, but uh, let me pray for you. We bow your heads right now. Let's pray together. Father, the most important thing that can happen today is that you grab our hearts. Some of us need to hear for the first time about the grace of God. Some of us, Lord, we've heard it a, a million times, and yet it's become familiar grace and not amazing grace. Forgive us for that. And I pray today that you would grab our hearts that once again 
we would be captivated, captured by the amazing truth that we are more than anything that we've done, more than our past, that because of you we've been redeemed, we've been remade. And remind us of that today and help us leave here changed because of it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be home with you guys. Um, I've been on uh, quite a few trips, eight plane trips in the last eight days, so it's good to be home. But a few days ago, I had a conversation with someone that I, uh, I've known for a long time, a long time, an old friend who lives out of, time, out of town, and uh, I'll say his name is Chris, it's not really his name, but Chris, for the last 10 years or so, has lived far from God, has lived broken, um, on the brink of financial disaster, um, probably, uh, unless God intervenes and a miracle happens, going to be divorced soon. His marriage is a mess, and he's on the brink of hopelessness. And when we talked, I could just hear it in his voice that he was ready to quit. In fact, I had to ask him, are you thinking about suicide? And I pleaded with him not to give up. I pleaded with him not to give up on the goodness, on the grace of God. And I reminded him of something I want to remind you today, that God is able to fix us. He's able to redeem us. He can redeem, restore, renew any life. And I know that because I've been there. I have been there, and like many of you, I've made lots of dumb and idiotic mistakes in my life. But I've also experienced boatloads of God's grace, which is why I wrote the book, Epic Grace Chronicles of a Recovering Idiot. And I, I uh, put in this book 22 chapters of lessons learned the hard way, because it's my conviction you don't have to learn everything the hard way. Some of us seem destined to do that. We seem determined to learn lessons the hard way, but the truth is we don't have to. And I believe that uh, the Bible it was written for us even so that we would learn from the mistakes of others. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he told them this. He said, what's in the Old Testament? He's referring to the scriptures that they had at that time. What's written there is an example to us in some ways of what not to do. In fact, he wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, these events, the things that are recorded in the scriptures, happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. Paul's saying, let me remind you, the Bible is full of stories of people who did some really idiotic things, and the reason why it's there is to remind us, to warn us not to go there. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10 says, all these events happened to them as examples for us, and they were written down to warn us. Paul's saying, don't go there, don't be like them. And then in verse 12, for those who might have been thinking, well, that's not me, I'm not that stupid, I would never make those kinds of idiotic mistakes, same chapter, verse uh, 12 of 1 Corinthians 10, he said this, if you are standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. So those who think they're doing okay, you think you're standing strong, you think you would never go there, he warns them, says be careful because you might fall into the same sin. I don't care about looking good. If you've been around here any length of time at all, you know I tell stories of myself all the time. And why would I do that? Because if you can learn from my mistakes, if you can learn from the things I've done, then I want you to learn. And I absolutely love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. Because it never puts a positive spin on anything or anybody. Have you read the book? Read the Bible. And David, who's a man after God's own heart, who wrote the, most of the Psalms, a great man of God, it's still, we, we see his story of adultery, of murder, and of failure. I love the Word of God because it's there to remind us and to teach us so that we don't have to do some of the same foolish things. It's a book full of people's mistakes. Think about it. It really is. And it's not a negative book. It really can be and should be an encouraging book to us that we can learn from others, that we don't have to go there. In fact, we can be encouraged to be more like Jesus. And so here's the first reality I want you to hold on to today. 
And this is something I'm going to land on in multiple different ways this morning. But it's not what you can do that matters most to God, but who you are to him and in him. Let me say it again. It's not what you can do. It's not how great you might be, how together your life might be, how professional or, or, or polished you might look to others. What matters most to God is who you are to him and in him. And here's what I want you to leave it with. And, and uh, this is the most important thing I'm going to say today. Ready? Here it is in one sentence. You must understand that you can't perform your way into his love or into his grace. You cannot perform your way into God's love or into his grace. And once you get that, it changes everything. What matters most is who God is, who he is, and who we are to him and in him. Who we are to him and in him. And this is very uh, cross-culture. It's very counter to our culture that we live in. In our world, you are measured and valued by your performance, by your success, by your net worth. We are taught as little children that if someone's you know, famous, it's because they're, they're, they've done something great because of what they can do or maybe what, because of what they didn't do. But we believe that the rich and the successful people matter more because of what they have. Our culture tends to add value to people based on their performance. And so it's really, really hard for us when we come to faith in Christ and we begin to investigate this God thing and what it means to follow him to not think that we have to earn ourselves a right to be loved by God. To, to not think that we have to do all the right things to somehow get in the place that we're ready to be in relationship with him. I talk to people all the time who tell me, oh, I'm too messed up to follow Jesus. And I go, no, you're exactly the person that needs to follow him because we're all messed up. They go, well, I got to get some things taken care of. Deal with this sin. Deal with this issue. I got to stop, stop, whatever. Fill in the blank. And then I'll begin to follow God. I go, no, come to him just as you are. Because in the kingdom of God, it's not about your performance. It's about relationship. I'm glad the Seahawks are doing well. Anybody else excited about the Seahawks? Six and one. You know, I keep waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm a little nervous because I want to get excited and think that they might maybe go all the way. But I got to ask you a question. Now, I love the Seahawks, and I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but is, is anybody really worth $8 million a year? I think that's what they pay Sidney Rice. $8 million a year to play a game. And, and, and the whole team, I think, we're like number one or two on the, in the roster in the uh, NFL right now. $103 million a year paid to the Seahawks uh, personnel. Now, in our country, we think, well, that's no big deal. You know, they earn it, they work hard, and they advertise and all this other stuff. But let me just put it this way. We've got millions and millions of children who go to bed hungry every night. We've got millions... And, and hundreds of millions of people in our world who don't have clean drinking water, who die because of, of things that can be prevented with simply having clear and clean water to drink from. And I wonder, is, is there just a little disconnect with God's economy and the world's economy? Are the poor and disenfranchised really worth less to him? The right answer is no. Is their value only based on what they can do or what they can acquire? Well, in our world, that tends to be the way it goes, but not at all in the kingdom of God. Not in God's wor word, not in God's world, not in his opinion, not in his economy. In fact, God's math is very different than our math. And so let me say it again in another way. You and I are worth more than the sum of our efforts. You and I are worth more than the sum of our efforts. In fact, we're priceless to God. I don't know if you've ever thought of that yourself that way. I know we think about all our sin and mistakes and all our failings and the stuff we did on the way to church today or the fight we have with our spouse, you know, and last night. We think about all those things. But here's the reality. Here's the truth. I mean it when I say this, and so does God. You are priceless to the Father. 
How well you do what you do in this life has nothing to do with your true value to God. Our personal value to him is because we're created, as human beings, created in his image. And it has nothing to do with our success or lack thereof. God loves and values us because of who he is, who he is, and who we are to him and in him. In fact, with him, it's not about the what, it's always about the who. With God, it's not about the what, what you do or don't do. It's about the who. Now, I know some of you think, well, wait, wait a minute. Doesn't God care about what I do? Yeah, of course God cares about what we do. What we do does matter to him. The Bible's filled with things that God asks us to do or not to do. But here's the distinction, and here's, here's what I'm landing on today. Here's what I want you to walk away with. Our value to him is not based on our accomplishments or on our performance. And that is really good news for all of us. Because some of us might be able to once in a while keep our nose clean and perform the way we ought to. But most of us, our minds, our hearts betray us. Even when we're at our worst, though, God still loves us and values us. It's unconditional with him. And I'm going to tell you in a moment why that's important for you to get this. But you need to understand, even when you are at your worst, you're being as mean and ugly as you could possibly be to somebody. God still loves and values you because it's unconditional with him. I have said this many, many times, and I will say it a billion other times before I die without apology. And here's the truth. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he already does. Nothing. Forget all the yeah buts. Well, yeah, but. No. There's no way around the simple truth. He loves you. And you and I are worth more to him than the sum of our efforts. Where did I get such a crazy idea? Well, listen to these words from Romans. Chapter 5, five verse 6 and 8. I love this. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us really good, perfect, altogether people. No, died for us sinners. Now, no one is likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good, like my wife. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, I know, again, a familiar verse for many of you. Maybe it's the first time some of you read this. But don't be so familiar with this truth that it loses its impact on your life. We were utterly, it says, utterly helpless. What does that mean? It means we could not ever get it right on our own. But while we were still sinners, it says Christ died for us. God's math is different than ours. See, in our economy, one plus one equals you guys are good. One plus one equals two, but in God's economy, one plus him equals everything. Everything we need, everything we're ever going to want or dream of, everything. One plus him takes care of it all. But I want those words to sink in. We were utterly helpless, and it was then that God showed us his love. Before you and I ever did one right thing for him, before we ever loved him, before we had a clue of who he was even, when we were far from God and totally messed up, he demonstrated our value by sending Jesus to die for us. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son. Why? Because of who you are to him. Because you're created in his image. Because he knows your woundedness and your brokenness. And because he cares for you more than you can possibly imagine. He sent his son to pay the ultimate price because of who he is and who we are to him, not because of what we do. And here's the deal. Why am I landing so hard on this? Because knowing that kind of love changes us from the inside out. It changes us. In fact, the deeper you know it, the more profoundly you'll be changed by it. 
The deeper you understand this simple and yet life-changing, powerful truth, the more you'll be changed by it in your walk with him and your walk with others. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore and nothing you can do to make him love you any less. You are worth more than the sum of all your efforts to him. And when that begins to sink into the deepest part of your soul, into your heart and mind, when that begins to resonate right here, then there's something life-giving and altering that happens at a deep level in your being, in your heart. Instead of striving to do something for all the wrong reasons, you will want to do the right things for the right reasons. Instead of trying to earn an attaboy from God or an a girl from God or a gold star or a gold sticker from God or a smiley face or a happy face on your whatever from God, you will begin to operate and wake up in the morning and go through your day with joy, with peace, and with a response of love to God. Show me someone who's got joy and peace and they love God with all their heart. I'll show you someone who gets how much they're loved by the Father. If you're grumpy, if you're not filled with joy, if you're bitter and ugly and not the kind of person people want to be around, it's because, simply put, you don't understand how much you're loved by the Father. You don't get that it doesn't matter what you do or don't do. He loves you, period, end of story. And that love is freeing. That love changes us from the inside out. And here's what it does. That love causes us to want to be more like him for all the right reasons. I want to honor God with my life. I want to do things that honor him and the kingdom. I want to put him first. I want to live a sacrificial life of selflessness. I want to be that way. It's not because I have to. It's because I get to. I get to because of what he's done for me. I grew up in a strange home. And if you've read the book, I'm pretty honest about it. And uh, by the way, uh, my dad, pretty much on his deathbed, said, son, if telling our story will help people, you tell it. You preach it, son. And, I, and so I, I, my dad on his deathbed even said, I want you to share this. But we were dysfunctional long before people even knew what dysfunctional meant. It was a word that's kind of being popular in the 70s and 80s. But uh, my dad was an angry man. And he had ridiculous and very unreasonable standards for everything. And I was usually frustrated uh, by that and confused by it. Part of my confusion was I knew that he wasn't perfect, but he demanded perfection for me. Not kidding when I said my dad would walk into my bedroom every Saturday morning, every Saturday, wipe his finger on the top of the door jam to see if there was dust on it. And if he did, I was in not just a little trouble, huge trouble. And my dad wasn't even military. He just was ridiculous. And, and just the standards that he lived by. You know, my dad uh, wanted me to play the trumpet. And I didn't really want to play the trumpet. But third grade, he, his, he brought a trumpet home and said, Son, you're going to play this. I said, Dad, I want to play the drums. And I will never forget my dad. The, he was angry. And I thought I was going to get disciplined for saying the D word. I want to play the drums. He said, Drums are of the devil. And no son of mine is going to play something satanic like that. You're going to play the trumpet. And all three of his boys played the trumpet. We did trios in church on the trumpet. It was really sad. <laughs> but it didn't matter what I did, it didn't seem like I ever made my dad happy. I always had to be first chair in band. If you can band, you know what that means. And if I got challenged and I got booted out of first chair, I'd be terrified to tell my dad. And as soon as I could, I'd, I'd try to get back into it. It was a relationship I had with my dad that affected my relationship with my father, Father God. Because when you relate to people that way and the father image that you have demands and requires perfection, 
then you grow up thinking, well, here's what you, you, that your value is based solely on your performance and that your worth is based on your success. As a child, I, don't, I can't tell you the day you know, that I came to that conclusion, but I learned it early. I, I, I embraced this false belief early in my life that my worth, my value is based on my performance and my success. And the sad truth is I desperately wanted my father's unconditional love and approval. I wanted my daddy to be proud of me. I was terrified of him. I'm not even sure I really loved him. I, I'm not sure he loved, I, I, he did, but it was, so, it was such an odd and harsh relationship. But there's nothing more than I wanted than, than the approval of my dad. But I had to make him happy very often. And I felt like a, a failure most of the time. And you know what that does to a, a, to a boy, a young boy? You know what it does to you? It makes you one very insecure person. Because your, your values then is based on your performance. You know, most of you know I was on TBN on Thursday night, praise the Lord, in Southern California. And uh, I was terrified. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I had the trots Thursday afternoon. <laughs> Told you I'm pretty raw, pretty real, but I did. And thank God for Modium AD, because I, uh, I think I took about five of them. Let's just leave that alone. But anyhow, um, I spent about an hour in my hotel room uh, Thursday just praying. And, I, and here's what happened. And guys, I, I just I can't make this stuff up. I just in that moment, from about 4 to 5, and they came to pick me up about 5.15, I just prayed. And you know what the Lord said to me? <laughs> he said, I'm proud of you, son. And it's not because of what you do or don't do. And I'm thinking, oh, God, that'd preach. It's not because of what you do or don't. I don't. In fact, it was really like the Lord said, it doesn't matter to me whether you completely, you know, the whole program. Whether I stumble over my words and, and failed, quote, unquote, miserably Thursday night, it didn't matter to the Father. You know what that did for me? Man, I went into that place with peace. I was a little out of my element. I don't usually wear sports jackets. And... Um, get on television in front of millions of people. So I was, I was definitely out of my element. But you know what? I had peace. I really did. Because I knew it didn't matter to the Father. When we don't get this, when we don't understand the love that we have from God, the nature of our relationship with Him, with people, with our you know, co-workers, with our family, with our friends, is going to be birthed out of it. It's going to be really surrounded with this insecurity and it plays itself out in some really odd ways. Some people that are the funniest people you know, you know why they're really funny? Because they're terribly insecure. Some people who are really smart and they're just, they're genius level. Everybody knows they're genius. You know why they're so good about making everybody, sure everybody knows how smart they are? Because it's birthed out of their insecurity. This, this insecurity that's deep-seated in our human nature causes us to operate and do things to gain the approval of men, to gain the approval of others, to gain the love of people. But when you get it, listen, when you understand that you are loved by the Father no matter what, there's this peace and this strength and the security that comes that could only come from God. And so that voice in your head or the voices of your mothers, your fathers, your friends, it gets quieted. It gets shut down. Because you understand that you don't have to earn his love. You don't have to perform for him. We don't have to do anything at all to merit his affection or to be of value to him. God loves us in the story. You know, there's no disciple 
who was closer to Jesus or who knew the love of God better than John the Beloved. And he wrote a lot about the love of God, John 3.16, big one. For 1 John 3.1, one, one of my favorite verses, John wrote this. He said, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. How great is the love of the Father that, we, that, that, that his lavishness on us, that we should be called his kids. And I love this word lavished. It means God's love is abundant. It's overflowing. In fact, it is beyond measure. We can't even wrap our little pea brains around the love of God. He loves and values you just because he does. And if that's true, and it is, then some of us need to rest and stop struggling to earn something we already have. And so here's the last little bullet I want to give you. You already have the love of the Father. You already have the love of your Father. You really are worth everything to him. Everything. You see, even the best of us in our best moments is a closet screw-up. We may really work hard to look our best on the outside, but we know it's here. It's in our hearts. We've all failed. And that's the bad news. The good news is that despite all of our failures, despite all of our inadequacies, despite all of our personal catastrophes and idiotic mistakes, he loves us. You and I are worth more to him than the sum of our efforts because of what Jesus did, because of him. I have uh, four grandchildren. Um, my oldest is Adele. She's the only granddaughter I have. And I love her so much, I just, I ache. She lives in Portland, and, and uh, she's seven years old, and she's very special to me. But I will never forget the first time that I held Adele in my arms. She was three days old. We finally got down to Portland, and I'm holding that little bundle of joy in my arms, and no big surprise, I cried, and I, I, I talked to her, and I told her how much I love her. And I said, Adele, I'm your grandpa, and I'm going to be your favorite grandpa. And, and, <laughs> and I... I, I just, all sorts of things. I don't remember. I just went on and on, and I just, I gushed over her and loved her and told her how much she meant to me. And here's what I want you to understand. I did all of that before she'd ever said anything to me. Now, she's very advanced for her age, even today. But at three days old, she wasn't saying, yeah, Gramps, good job. I like you too. <laughs> now, before I ever heard any word from her mouth, before she ever did anything for me, before she ever gave me, she, she loves to do art, and, and I have some of her art around our house. Before she ever did any pictures for Grandpa, before she ever gave me one thing, I loved her with all of my heart. When she was clueless about my love for her, I still love her. And no matter what she does, no matter what she might ever do, I will always love her. And what I want you to know is that's the heart of our Father God for you. If I can love my grandchild and my children that way, how much more, million, billion times more is the love of God for us? Even before you understood his words, even before you knew his love, maybe you're sitting here this morning, maybe you're watching this online, and you don't yet know, you haven't experienced personally that love of God. I want you to know that even before you ever chose to love him, he loved you. Before you ever did anything for him, he loved you. You're worth more than some of your efforts. You're worth everything to him. And when you get it, when you understand that, it changes everything. I want to read one last passage for you and I pray for you we'll be done. I read this on the, the program Thursday night and it is perhaps one of the most powerful statements that Paul ever wrote about the grace of God. It's Titus 3, 3-7. 
He says at one time, we too. I love the fact that Paul says we. God wrote more than half the New Testament. One of the greatest missionaries and men of God to ever walk the planet of the earth, you know, face of the planet. And he goes, at one time, we, including me, he says, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And he describes mankind right there, us, our human condition. But verse 4, he says, but when the kindness and love, do you hear it? Kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Listen, not because of the righteous things you figured out. Not because of the things you were able to do. Not because you got it all together. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And we poured out on us generously, not just a little, but generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, through Jesus. So that having been justified, what does that mean? Made right with God, declared not guilty by him. Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. That we can live knowing that we have the hope of eternal life because of Jesus. If you're here today, and you know this, you've experienced this grace, then I want you to leave here today thanking God again for it. My biggest concern is that amazing grace becomes familiar grace for us. We're gonna spend five weeks in a series on epic grace. We're gonna look at different aspects of it, different, different parts of it, different ways that the Bible talks about it. And my hope is that you would not for one second go, I guess I can stay home for a month. I've got all that grace stuff figured out. No, I wanna light a fire in you again. We exist, we are here because of the grace of God. This church is about the grace of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to invite your friends and your family. People who are far from God who need his grace, you invite them to come with you. But my hope for you is that in this series, you'll be reminded again of the epic grace of God for you. And if you're here today and you've not yet started your walk of faith in Christ, that today you would experience what Paul wrote about, that you would be saved by God's mercy and grace, that you would embrace his grace for you. By our heads, let me pray for you. Father, I know um, that this room is filled with people from all different places. And their spiritual journey, some of them get this better than I do. Some of them, Lord, uh, think they understand it, but they need to know more. And some of us, Lord, are new, and this whole grace thing just seems a little out there for us. And, we, and it seems too good to be true. And it, it, it should seem too good to be true. Because it, it's, it blows our mind when we think about the goodness of God towards us. When we didn't earn it, couldn't earn it, don't deserve it, you give it to us. And so Lord, I pray that you would just rock our world today and this week with your grace. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you're ready. And we're not going to do anything to embarrass you. I promise you nobody's going to single you out. This is about you and Jesus right now. But if you're here and you think, man, I want that grace, I need that grace, I'm tired of trying to get it all figured out on my own. I just need God. I want to know Jesus. I want to follow him. If that's you, then make the cho choice. It begins with a choice in your mind, in your heart to say, yes. Yes, I surrender my life. Yes, I need that grace. Yes, I want to be forgiven. And the second, the instant, that nanosecond that you say yes to God, 
the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. And I know it's like, what? The power and presence of God takes up his home inside your heart and mind. And he'll help you now become the man or woman that you want to be. But to introduce yourself to that relationship with him, I just want to pray a simple prayer and ask you to make this prayer yours right now. Just pray these words in your own heart. Father, I need your grace. I'm broken. And I need your mercy. And I want you right now to invade my life. And I surrender all that I am. My past, present, future, it's yours now. And I accept what Jesus did for me on that cross. And I embrace that grace, that gift of God's epic grace for me. And today, I become, I am your child. I'm yours. Loved by the Father. Lord, for those that are making that prayer theirs right now, that they're owning that, God, seal it in their hearts. That today they've become a child of the Father. Perfectly loved, even in our imperfection. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Gosh, she's going to come. We're going to take our offering. I'm going to ask you to remain seated. And let this song just kind of wash over you. If you want to sing it along, you can. If you want to just listen. But let the, the power of these words just wash over you now as we give to the Lord. And I'll come back and wrap it up. It's not one thing, it's another. Man, can I relate to that? How about you? God takes our brokenness plus his goodness. That equals grace. That's his math. I know you're broken. I know you fail. I know there's things you've done and will do that are not like me yet. But he adds his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his power, his life to that. And that's where we experience his grace over and over and over again. I want to walk and live in grace. How about you? How about you? Listen, if you need uh, prayer today, prayer team will be down front, and we'd love to pray with you. Communion's available on both sides of the room. I encourage you to stop and take that as well. Next Sunday, we'll take communion together as a community of faith. So I encourage you to come back. Um, if you began your life as a Christ follower today, and you uh, made the decision to surrender your life to His, tell somebody. Come tell me. Pray with somebody. Let them know. Tell your friend, your family member. They will celebrate with you. And then on the tables by the doors, there's a packages for new Christians, new believers, packets for material, Bibles, material, get study, walk with Jesus. Please pick one of those up. My prayer for you is that you'll go and walk in his grace this week like you never have before. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.